Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. We will start with introductions, just a, a brief uh, intro of yourself, your role and you know, relevant experience, bearing in mind the, uh, the topic we're discovering. And so in no particular order, the, the, the rectangle below me, uh, Justin, if, if you don't mind going first. Okay, well, uh, so I'm Justin, I'm the, uh, I guess I'm the market general manager for uh, Nespresso in uh, Hong Kong and Macau. Uh, I've, I mean, I've been in Nespresso for five years and I actually started at Nespresso as the uh, regional APAC person running the, uh, the B2B business in uh, Nespresso. So I think, uh, yeah, the, uh, the topics that we're talking today has been quite relevant to me for quite some time. Uh, yeah, B2B results has been, has been part of my life for, for the last five years. And I think, um, I, I guess marketing for B2B in general has been a um, unique challenge for us because we are mostly a consumer focused company, but B2B is also a, a significant part of our business. And I think for us, the challenge is really about how do we, how do we manage the different mindsets to, uh, to a different audience that's required for B2B. And I think uh, certainly with PR, we've recently had some interesting experience with uh, Hoffman and also with a few other partners. And um, yeah, there's uh, certainly things that I'd be happy to share in this conversation. Great, thank you, Justin. Um, and, and I'm sure we will get into some of those things, no doubt. Shield. Uh, if we go clockwise, you are next, please. Hi, I'm Shield Shilkoli. I am currently the Chief Marketing Officer of Equidex Group, um, although I'll be leaving the company pretty soon, actually. But um, I'm currently there, and uh, Equidex Group is the first listed, NASDAQ-listed cryptocurrency group. Um, so we have a range of businesses from an exchange to a custody business, to an asset manager business, asset management business. And so we do a lot of B2B and B2C marketing as well. Um, my background prior to that was a number, a number of other fintech companies, um, but really the base of my expertise has been 18 years in banking and insurance and finance. There I've done a lot of uh, B2B communications in particular. Um, and have had, uh, you know, a lot of experience uh, across Asia, but also into Europe as well, um, running pretty comprehensive, integrated B2B marketing and communication strategies. Uh, so, yeah, this is a very fascinating subject because it's moving very, very quickly. B2C is, 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 is exciting, but B2B, I think, is sometimes overlooked because B2C is often seen as quite sexy, but B2B is really quite exciting and the challenges are, are much greater in many ways. So uh, it's a, going to be a very interesting discussion today. I think so. Un unfairly overlooked, I think, often. Um, David, over to you. Hi. Uh, so I'm David Hardoon. I'm the uh, Managing Director of uh, Aboitis Data Innovation. And essentially, Aboitis Data Innovation is part of the Aboitis conglomerate, which covers areas of power, the generation distribution, uh, food, agri, um, uh, finances, uh, construction, and so forth. So Avoidance Innovation is really focused in terms of how to bring together the different dimensions and the possibilities from a data point of view. As, as you can imagine, we're 
looking at a B2B, B2B2C, B2C type of endeavor. So it's really kind of um, focusing on bringing further opportunities for the avoidance businesses, as well as our partners and potential clients out there. I'll keep it short and succinct. Thank you, David. Um, Marty, you're next. Hi, I am Marty Filipowski. I work for Nutanix based in Sydney, Australia. Nutanix is a, involved in cloud computing. We have a hybrid multi-cloud platform that enables enterprises and government organizations to do hybrid multi-clouds, multi-cloud type computing. I have been in Sydney for 17 years and had a mix of roles covering Australia and the whole of APJ. Prior to landing in Sydney, I worked in the US and worked as a political press secretary in the US Senate and um, in some other roles in healthcare and telecom. So, but at the moment, the role that I'm in is primarily B2B and the discussion today and the learnings that we'll gain from others, I think will be very fascinating. Yeah, I hope so. Um, thanks, Martin. Uh, and last but by no means least, Caroline representing the agency side. Yeah, hi. Um, so I'm Caroline. I run um, APAC for Hoffman Agency. I've spent over 25 years in the tech industry. So this is, you know, um, um, really a sweet spot for us. Um, definitely, whether it's, um, you know, prior to being at Hoffman, I've also spent 15 years in-house in the roles that we're talking about. So whether it is in terms of um, communications roles like at Google or say CMO at Appier, uh, AI unicorn and startup IPO this year, you know, um, we're just in all of the roles, I would say that we're really seeing a big shift right now in the B2B and tech um, company space. Um, particularly, I think for, for a comms agency like ours, uh, where we're seeing the shift toward, you know, clients wanting to solve business problems. And I think that's an interesting angle to possibly explore today. Yeah, indeed, and, and, and we will explore. Um, so I will get this going by asking um, some questions, but uh, please don't wait for me necessarily to call on you if you want to um, jump in, respond to a point someone else has made, please feel free to do that. Um, that way we can turn this into more of a uh, more of a conversation um, than a round robin. Um, but you know, to get things going, I'm I'm very happy to to prompt um, with some questions. And the first one, I think, which is probably quite a basic one, but it's a good place to start, is um, what role does public relations public relations play in your B two B marketing strategy? How has it changed, and, and how is it changing? Uh, and again, Justin, uh, because you're directly below me. I hope you don't mind. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to you first again, please. Sure, no worries. So we, we sell coffee. So that, that, that's our business. And I think for the longest time, we feel that uh, B2B marketing is really about getting B2B decision makers to drink our coffee. Now, that I think has worked for a very long time, but I think we, we, we've seen certainly in the last couple of years that we, we need to start doing things a bit differently because as the coffee cultures in all the markets that we operate in evolves, um, yeah, just getting people to come to an event to drink some coffee is no longer the way to, uh, to it is no longer, it's no longer as relevant as it, as it should be. So the, I, I think certainly in, 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 my, in the markets that I've looked after, I think we've really had a bit of a change of um, approach probably in the last two years or so, where 
I think we spend a lot more focus on the PR side of things because we feel that the story that we bring to the table is not just about Nespresso serving the best coffee, sustainability. So we can't just take all of the B2C messages and then put it in a B2B context and expect that uh, our customer will resonate around that. If I look at our B2B um, our portfolio, I mean, our two biggest groups of customers are hospitality and offices. And I think with offices, we, I mean, we, recently, did a, um, we recently did an event where we, we were really talking about the future of work. So what we've come to realize is that I think the role that PR needs to play for us is that PR shapes the conversation. It takes us away from just being the people who comes to your pantry to stock up your coffee, but it puts us in a position where we can contribute to conversations around what's relevant to our B2B, especially the office decision makers. We, I would say that we're still working on refining that, especially in the, in the Asian cultural context. I think for some of our markets in Europe, they've been doing it for longer and Espresso has been there for longer. So that's a different conversation that they have there. But I think here we're really trying to use PR to inject ourselves into, into a conversation that's relevant to, uh, to the local decision makers so that we can, we can both be part of the conversation and also put a few coffee machines in the pantries. Yeah, it's a really good point actually on, on um, not just relying on B2C messaging, I think, which is actually one that sometimes I think is overlooked. And also, of course, the importance of relevance. And that's something that public relations can and should hopefully provide. Um, Shield, what's your take? Yeah, I, I think that in all the industries and uh, all the companies I've worked in, PR is the knowledge base. So, and, and when you think about what you're trying to achieve with B2B, which is Justin said, and in his case, he wants more businesses to buy and stock his coffee. You know, in my businesses, I've wanted people to buy our product, whatever that is, right? Um, and what the first question people ask is, in a B2B context, is not the price, which is what this, it might be the question in a B2C context, but more, what does it mean? What, how does it help me? Give me more information, give me more detail. And, and, and PR is actually the, the knowledge base, is actually the uh, foundation from which you can provide all those answers and build uh, activities and events to, to, to actually demonstrate the strength of your knowledge, uh, because that then wins you trust, it gives you endorsement, and then you get much greater longer term uh, affinity with uh, the clients and the customers uh, that you're targeting. Um, the, other, the other thing about PR is that it's the key to third party endorsement. So media relations and media coverage. Um, and I, I was a journalist for 10 years before I even got into this business. And so I suppose I'm particularly sensitive to, to the media and although media is less important than it used to be there's still great sensitivity among certain stakeholders to what they see is in terms of paid media versus earned media. And uh, PR is vital for providing that much greater credibility to your brand and your reputation through, uh, uh, through earned media. Um, I think an earned article that provides independent endorsement is 10 times more valuable to certain stakeholders than something that's paid or sponsored. 
And I think that PR still hold, plays a very, very important role in terms of driving, in terms of driving that, that earned media. Um, but as I say, it's not just earned media, it's the whole thought leadership base, the, the whole knowledge base uh, that it could provide. Yeah. Um, and I think, that's, I think that is how I see PR really informing our, our B2B marketing strategy. Yeah, yeah, very good points there in terms of trust, third-party endorsement, and 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 the knowledge base, I guess, in terms of solving, helping customers solve problems. David, you both managed to move in the order, but you've also got your hand up, so I'm, I'm going to come to you next, please. <laughs> no, yeah, no, thanks. I, I didn't mean to, to uh, interject, uh, but I, I was just really thinking about what she was, was sharing, and I just wanted to build on that in terms of the knowledge component. Now, the space that I'm in is data. And as you can imagine, there is a lot of PR media, both paid, unpaid attention on it. But in fact, this is where I believe the criticality of PR really uh, uh, stands out in the space of data because there is a tremendous amount of noise. Uh, in fact, I still joke that if you go ask 10 people, what is data, you'll get about 15 different answers. So it is how to really create that refined lens of the value, the necessity, the context, within whatever offering or whatever engagement the business has, be it in terms of a selling point of view or really in terms of a clarity perspective, because if you don't understand what I'm doing, if there's no clarity, there is no point in trying to sell, essentially. So I just wanted to build on that. And then just to share one more thing that I actually tell my own folks is the other dimension is if, if we don't talk about things, if we don't uh, have the ability to, to, to echo the, the value proposition, the the, the the benefit of the work it's as if you've never done it and given that we're kind of this slightly unique situation whereby i'm doing things internally but at the same time everything i'm doing is for an external audience pr has that like i said criticality within it in order to helping that refinement and that essentially ultimately that position in a sea of noise to a certain degree yeah and that whole point about the sea of noise is i think we one we can definitely um expand on uh unfortunately i guess the risk is that a lot of pr contributes to the sea of noise right so it's almost you know it's, it's how, how do you ensure yours yours doesn't and and that perhaps is 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 where where, where the uh, the secret is uh marty how is um how is the role of pr changing in terms of how you uh look at your b2b marketing yeah well, as I said earlier, Nutanix is, a, is in, into cloud computing. So our role is to help um, decision makers and IT decision makers and chief executive officers see the value that they can bring uh, when they are making purchasing decisions about IT and, and cloud. Um, the first thing that we have to make sure PR does is to participate in decisions about the strategy of the company, you know, and, and to have a seat at the table so, you know, in my role at the regional level, um, we're quite integrated with the marketing team and the sales team and, and other teams, our, our chief technical officer, you know, uh, when discussions about strategy and planning are happening. And, and um, we also, as part of those discussions, uh, participate in discussions about the messaging. We need to make sure the messaging is relevant to local markets. Yes, we have global messages that we're, we're aligning to and business priorities that we're aligning to, but if they don't tap into local conversations, 
the problems that organizations are trying to solve on the local level, I think we're going, we will lose people's attention. Um, and to that end, um, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that we are demonstrating how we're helping our customers and potential customers solve problems. So the, the messaging that we need to go forward with is very outcome focused. It's not about, it's, it's, you know, it's not, yes, we're talking about our products and services at some point, but the, the conversation about the problems we're solving becomes more important. And so we look to include uh, those messages in most everything we do. Yeah, it's interesting because I think something that one of the things that contributes to to the noise that, that David mentioned is actually too much of a focus on products and, and features rather than on solving, you know, customer problems. Um, some really great points there from all of you, I think. Uh, so, Caroline, I'll come to you for your insight in terms of what you see uh, across all of your clients, and, and also, I guess, maybe I can just summarize in terms of what each of the panelists has said so far. So we have Justin who mentioned how PR can, can shape the conversation, provide that relevance. Um, Sheil noted it's it's really kind of the knowledge base that drives thought leadership, trust, third-party endorsement. For David, it's it kind of creates that refined lens amid, um, amid a lot of noise. Uh, and Marty mentioned how important it is for public relations to be at the table when it comes to strategy uh, and also um, developing relevant messaging um, that is both relevant locally and outcome focused. So that's a lot, Caroline. I don't expect you to go through all of that. <laughs> but just from your perspective, in terms of everything you're seeing, how are you seeing the role of PR changing, if at all? Yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, right, um, you know, there's a lot of terminology out there. I think we need to start by, you know, discussing, well, define what you mean by PR. Because for different clients, it actually means different things. And I think, you know, that's what we try to do in the initial conversation with clients um, on this. Also, another thing um, is definitely, you know, um, even when we're talking about problems, right, we also have to look at, is it really a PR problem or is it a business problem? And I think some of that came across um, with the other panelists, right? We, it's important to make that distinction almost and have that conversation. And, and um, also, I think, um, you know, long-term, I think PR can be a tool to help the business, to solve the business problem. But to Marty's point, we need to see at the table, you know, with not just the PR people, but also the sales representative, the, the product people, also the marketing folks and whatnot. And, and for us at the agency side, it really is trying to work out what is the right combination of tools um, kind of uh, pull together to kind of solve that problem. And I think that's important. One other thing I would say is that, you know, when looking at an integrated approach, right? Um, PR is also important in terms of defining that overarching narrative. So, you know, that, that, is, that is really important and, and it is um, looking at that mix and match. And, um, you know, research has shown, um, I was just reading something off um, kind of the B2B Institute at LinkedIn. And um, I learned that, you know, the research showed that B2B brands, um, they grow, for them to grow, it really requires a balance of short-term sales activation and long-term brand building. And how I look at it is, you know, short-term sales activation maybe is more marketing, digital, whatnot, whereas PR comes to play when we're talking about the long-term. So 
So I know it's not a short answer, but you know, it, it's a lot of defining, you know, when we're starting that conversation and then then really pinpointing what's the starting point of all of this. Yeah, thanks, Caroline. Really, yeah, very a very good summary actually there in terms of some of the challenges I think facing um, PR practitioners in the B2B space. So the definition in terms of what exactly is it they're being called on to do is are we talking about PR problems versus business problems? And of course the importance of having that seat at the table and a long-term focus. So does anyone else want to respond to anything that was said um, during those, during that kind of, uh, during that discussion, before I move on to another question, uh, please feel free to. Uh, if not, I'm quite happy to to take the conversation uh, into our kind of into our next question. Uh, I, perhaps just very briefly, I, I think Carolyn, your your point, and I mean it's it's in hindsight everything is obvious, but it's, I think it's a good calling out in terms of a long term strategy versus uh, a more sales uh, objective, and essentially how these have different treatments and different approach in terms of objective, in terms of, and, and in terms of how to, how to leverage it from a PR point of view. I think that's a very, very good call out because I think from at least like this, how I, and from I mentioned earlier, how, how I look at PR, to me, it's a much longer term narrative where it, it's, and, and, and also I wrote to your point is, is how do we not contribute to the noise, but actually help in a broader sense the noise to a certain degree. Now, obviously that will have a derivative of a sales benefit as part of B2B, but almost it's like a, a nice uh, outcome rather than in a upfront objective. So just, just to comment on that aspect. Yeah, and I, I, yes. And the other thing too, the more, the more we listen and the more time we take to listen mm-hmm. about what's going on externally and listening to the objectives that the business wants to achieve, you know, when we're doing our jobs on an internal basis with our stakeholders and participating in the conversations, the better job we do of listening, the better job we are going to do at delivering messaging that cuts through. <clears throat> and, and Arun, I'm sorry, I'm gonna like add on to that. I think what also makes it quite difficult, you know, having worked um, in-house also is really, you know, people in different roles on our client side have different agendas or different goals, right? So what that means is, you know, what comms lead would be focused on versus what a marketing, um, you know, CMO role versus, you know, um, what a business role, um, you know, the focus would be really different. And I think it, it, that that is a hard balance. And, and a lot of times, you know, as a, as an agency, you know, in order to make all of this work, to Marty's point, is bring everyone to the table and kind of, kind of co-creating this. And also, from an agency point of view, it's us having to play the role of kind of being the glue and kind of, kind of trying to sort out what makes sense, what's the agenda and objective for the sales teams versus the comms team and the marketing teams, who, whom we often work with, right? And so, you know, it it's. It's easy to just talk like this, but we know in real life when you're putting things into practice, we're often working across different teams, different uh, you know executive buy-ins and whatnot, and so so it's not an easy problem to solve there. So I'll come I'll come to the the integration um, discussion in a little bit. Before that, just to to stay on this, a couple of the points that are that are being kind of focused on here. Um, one is 
the the idea of, of PR helping in terms of a long-term focus versus perhaps short-term sales. Uh, and the second is um, being able to break through, I think, given the relentless noise of, sorry, the relentless rise uh, in noise of, of B2B content. So um, Justin and Sheil, your thoughts uh, on, on those two points would be, would be welcome. Yeah, I think, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Justin. Okay, thanks. <laughs> so Arun, I, th I think on the point about, uh, I, I think looking at long-term and the short-term, my sense is that the, the most effective PR tends to be the one that, where you can pick a topic that is, uh, well, that is topical, but at the same time, it's also got legs for you to build on. I think if I, if, I, if I look at some of our experience in the B2C world, especially around sustainability, that the best PR that we do around this is really things that we not only are topical, but we can actually take that and then every year evolve it, but stay on the same sort of topic so that we can develop uh, thought leadership around that. For, for B2B, I feel that this is probably even more important because I think we in, in the consumer space, there are always things that you can do to, I mean, in terms of the amount of media that you buy or the kind of execution that you do to really spice up the message. But for, for B2B, I think, the, I think the messaging side needs to be a lot stronger. And I think the consistency becomes more important because, I mean, B2B decision makers, there's so many messages, so many people trying to market to them to sell something. Um, yeah, to, to be the one person who comes, you, you know that what sort of topic they want to talk to you about. And as long as it's something that's, uh, that's relevant, I think that's, uh, that, that's much more powerful. I think if I put, you know, if I put myself on the other side of the... Uh, on the other side of the uh, transaction, I'd say that, um, yeah, if somebody comes and talks to me about uh, a different topic every couple of months, I probably would be uh, would, would find it more difficult to engage. Whereas I think some of our best customers, I mean, are people that we've been talking to about sustainability and recycling for many years. So that's why I think the, uh, that, that's why I think PR can really sort of give us the kind of value to have a consistent message that we can take and build on over a period of time that, uh, that shows that, you know, we're, we're really serious about the topic. Yeah, and I would also add, um, um, absolutely, PR is long-term. I think actually all of marketing is long-term um, versus sales, which is short-term. Um, I think that actually, if you are, are serious about building a, uh, long-term proposition for your customers and in all the businesses i've been in which are really near around financial services it's always about uh having a long-term sustained investment in whatever you're doing um you've got to have a very strong consistent regular message that comes out of that and and it's pr that informs everything yeah. it's pr that supports the brand it's pr that supports the marketing it's the it's the, it's the thing that provides all the uh, evidence, all the information, all the data to actually back up everything that you're saying in your branding and your messaging and your, and your marketing and your proposition. Um, so it, it, it's very long-term um, and, and, but you've got to win the commitment, which is the second point about, I, I wanted to make about internal education. You've got to get the commitment from stakeholders in the organization that these are our messages and this is what we're going to stick to and there's not going to be any wavering from that sure market conditions might change strategies might pivot a little bit but 
the bare bones of the claim that we're making as an organization are not changing. Because if you do that, then actually you undermine all your efforts. And that's obviously a very dangerous place to be. And you lose credibility and you stop, you're starting again, basically. Um, I, I agree with everything you've said. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I look at some, some of the best political campaigns in the US, again, given where I've come from, President Obama, yes, we can. What do you remember about his campaign? Yes, we can. Why do we remember that? He repeated it, repeated it, repeated it, repeated it. And so when I, when I look at quarterly planning and, and um, the focus that we're going to have, we, to your point, what are the key things that we, that we wanna be sticking to? Um, we don't need to be wavering. Um, maybe we'll tell the story a little bit different way, um, but, but the point always comes back to the main point. And um, um, otherwise we're gonna lose people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think so. I think our internal education is really important to people yeah. to, to, to this effort because a lot of people outside of PR and marketing have uh, a different understanding of what those functions are and what they can do and what they can achieve and what they can deliver. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the hardest thing is saying, no, we can't do that, but yes, we can do this. And I think. That I feel for my colleagues in our industry, because I've been in those meetings where, you know, you're given an angry, angry glare by the person that you're speaking to because you're basically telling them that they don't actually understand what you do. <laughs> and, and, and you run the risk of them thinking that you're hopeless. Um, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Right? That's an interesting, really interesting point. It comes back to Caroline's definition of PR. Um, Justin, you're kind of not a PR person, I suppose. And so maybe as, as the representative here of not PR people, um, do you think that's kind of something that that is a challenge, this, this perhaps this expectation that um, public relations people and the public relations function can uh, maybe solve problems that they can't? And, and sometimes there's a, a misperception in terms of what they can do. I mean, in the, I think in our, in our context, if, if nothing else, PR is usually the people that we call when we do have a problem. So I think PR can definitely solve problems, but uh, it's the kind of problems that we don't really want to have. I, my, I, I think my, my, our experience with all this is really that um, we, we, we need to give PR people the right sort of material to work on. And we also, I think we need to define a, uh, a good objective uh, for the... Uh, I think, I, I think we also need to define very clear objectives as well, because I, I've also seen examples where it's almost a case of, well, you know, we need to, we need to, we need to get, we need to get a message out there. So PR, you go sort it out. So I, I don't think that's quite the way to do it. And I think the best PR that we've, uh, we've done, I mean, we recently did one with Caroline and Hoffman was that we were pretty clear about not wanting to just talk about anything to do with coffee. We were very clear that we want to target people in offices who are looking for certain solution. And, you know, and then we came up with, and I think, you know, Hoffman came up with the idea around future of work and also gave us an execution that is quite different to what we usually do. And it was, it was definitely helping us solve a problem that we knew we have, but in a way that uh, we probably weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but I, I think if I, if I sort of look back to why we sort of got to that point was because we were very clear about what we didn't want. Mm -hmm. And we were also very clear about what the objectives were. So look, I, I, I actually think PR can help us solve uh, business problems, but 
we just need to know what the problem is. Mm. Caroline, do, do you find there is, from a B2B perspective, there's, there is a problem in terms of, sometimes in terms of how public relations is, is being perceived um, and in terms of what it's being asked to do and, and perhaps even what it's not being asked to do? Yes, I mean, for sure, you know, we see that confusing and that's why I go back to, you know, we have to define it first. So, so, um, so, you know, in that respect, this is why, you know, our approach going into a meeting with the client is, let's not talk about terminology, right? It's our job as the agency to, to find a solution. We don't have to call it PR. We don't necessarily have to call it marketing or whatnot. It's more about understanding to Justin's point, well, what are you facing? What do you not want to do? What is the current business goal? And, and let us, you know, bring ideas to, to the table. And I think, um, you know, that approach really um, is an easier way for kind of um, aligning everybody internally and not, not be stuck on the terminology aspect and take away from the broader discussion of what is it that we want? What is it the problem that we're seeing and whatnot? So if I give you an example here, during the pandemic, right, we really saw that there was added pressure to you know, companies, especially in the B2B and tech industry. Um, we're seeing like shrinking of budgets, you know, scrutiny, uh, internal scrutiny from our client side. We're, look, we're seeing change in terms of, you know, pace of digital transformation. And, and then at the same time, we're seeing how in-house comms or in-house marketing folks being actually held accountable for you know, um, tangible results. And so you know, instead of, again, not going that, that, that route of trying to define everything, it was just more of us coming in and sitting at the table and understanding what are the needs of people like Justin, what are the needs of people like Marty and like Shield. And let's together as a team, you know, come up with a solution. Also, I mean, to that point, right, again, we're just using uh, the term PR again. But right now in this day and age and this timing, especially during the pandemic, pure PR doesn't really, it no longer just works, right? And I, I'm assuming the definition of pure PR being only a media relations public relations kind of play. Because if you look at it, and really you and I know this, you know, the number of uh, journalists are shrinking right now. The number of media organizations are shrinking right now, right? So um, that means companies really need to find a way to reach their audiences directly sometimes, right? I'm not saying that PR is not important. Of course, it's the bread and butter. It is the core of this, but we need to find other ways working with our clients. And so, you know, we're, um, we're seeing the last two years, I would say, that B2B technology brands, B2B brands really need to start behaving like consumer brands in order of how they go direct to market. And you saw that, you know, some of that come across with what Justin was saying. Um, and also we were seeing that, you know, companies were really being thrown into a limelight there. Um, you know, they're not used to limelight, you know, B2B and tech brands kind of like to kind of stay behind the limelight and kind of let's, let's, let's be low key here. But, you know, clearly in the last two years, given the pandemic, it was not possible. There was no hiding from it. And they kind of had to find a way to step up and to kind of um, own the rate narrative and be accountable, be in partnership with their um, sales functions and product functions and C-level suites. So that was, you know, what was very interesting to me 
and, and, and there's, and I think we'll continue that down that road as we move into kind of hopefully the post pandemic phase. Mm. So, so let's not have a, a big discussion about the definition of PR because then we will be here forever. Um, <laughs> but actually your response and, and all of these responses provide quite a neat segue to, to one of the other questions I wanted to ask. So if we talk about that's media relations, which I think is 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 a really valid point, and, and you know shrinking journalists and, and perhaps um, perhaps declining importance, uh, but we can discuss that. So I suppose the question is, are, are you are you seeing changes in terms of how you you spend your your money, your investment patterns, um, looking at areas like you know media relations and thought leadership, which are kind of the classics B two B comms um, versus Newer options, and I say newer in, in you know in inverted commas because some of these things have been around for a long time. But areas like social media, owned content, um, you know LinkedIn as a as a platform, uh, social good, influencer marketing, and I'm curious to to hear from you all on, on how you're seeing that that shift, if at all. And Marty, maybe I can come to you first. In my role, I sit in the public relations function, but we are tightly integrated with the other functions, um, mm -hmm. social media, marketing, all of them. So everything works together. And, um, you know, earlier I spoke about participating in discussions about strategy. So when we walk away from the table, we have to, we have to have collaborated in a way that, that ensures everything will work together. Um, you know, the exact mix may depend on the country we're talking about, or even the Singapore, you know, maybe we're dealing with just Singapore or just Sydney. So those are considerations we have to take into account as well. Um, the other thing that, that um, we're looking at increasingly, um, haven't done a lot of it yet, but is, but is um, paid, paid content. Um, and Carolyn may talk more about that, you know, as part of her knowledge with all of the different clients she's working with, but um, I'm starting starting to look at this for some of the countries um, across Asia Pacific and Japan. And I'm curious, is that a response when, when you say paid content, you know, sometimes I hear that's uh, a, a response to the media themselves um, starting to charge more for access to their um, to their platforms, or is it more like actual, you know, paying to, to boost your presence on somewhere like LinkedIn or on, on, on digital platforms? Um, in, the, in the role that I'm in, it would be paying to place content, a byline or something in a platform where we may not have an opportunity to do so. Yeah. Um, or, yeah. or to Caroline's point, in a market where um, the media pool has become so small, maybe there's not an opportunity for, for an earned mm -hmm. discussion. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, Sheil, over to you next. How are you seeing the, the ch changes in in investment and focus, perhaps? Yeah, um, in terms of investment, I think it really depends what market you're in. Mm. And for social media, it depends what channel you're talking about. So if I, this, this conversation is just about B2B. If I think about just about the B2B businesses, um, I actually, although it's a shrinking media pool out there, I think investment in media relationships are pretty key. I think investment in own content and thought leadership is, is, is pretty important. Um, and I think uh, social media channels like LinkedIn 
is also those would be my top three investments like investing in media relationships making sure you've got a good pr uh, organization investing in own content and investing in, in in social media i mean linkedin is so important now for lead generation for b2b um and actually you know but by the way they're, they're among the most expensive social media channels out there as well for that reason because they've become so important because the targeting that you can do on LinkedIn um, for the customers that you're trying to get to is pretty precise now. They've really nailed it. Um, but LinkedIn on its own is not enough. You actually also need to make sure you've got a good investment in, in good content creation because that's got to underpin any kind of B2B marketing strategy. So, you know, full-time dedicated team that's purely focused on creating, extending, amplifying education, knowledge, insights is, is so important. I don't think you can, you can stress that enough. You create the content and then you push it through channels like, like LinkedIn. Um, and um, that is how I've seen, that is how I've seen uh, our, our investments change dramatically. You know, before it used to be, you know, well, let's make sure that we've got a good PR team. I think that's still important, as I said, but I think it's it, having your own content, because I think to Marty's point, sometimes you can't get, you can't control the message, right? Uh, obviously in own media, you definitely can't control the message, but you've got so much that you want to say, and there's so much that actually people want to hear um, that's relevant. And to the point about cutting through the noise, through your own content, uh, your, own, um, your own content creation team, you can then deliver the message that you want to the people that you want to receive it. Um, and I think uh, th that's probably the most fundamental shift. And I think LinkedIn is, LinkedIn is, is critical. One, one more thing I would say, just on this point about investment, is influencers. Um, influencers very much were seen as sort of a B2C type of thing, but actually it's becoming more and more B2B as well. I think a respected columnist an important media personality. They're people that you can increasingly cultivate to support your brand and, and influence corporate decisions. You know, um, particularly in crypto, you're seeing a number of really highly influential influencers who are respected and listened to. And by cultivating those kind of relationships, they can actually support you. It's much more subtle, but it can be very, very impactful. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's interesting because the, the sort of areas you have outlined and the way investment is changing, that changes the nature of, of public relations teams and functions as well, right? And in some cases, you know, some, maybe they shrink or maybe it's different skills come in. So that, that, that's an interesting angle too. Um, Justin, over to you, where are you seeing um, changes in terms of how you spend your communications dollars? I think we would actually like to spend more on PR, but the, uh, for, for our business context, what, what we do need to do is we need to, we need to have the components um, there for, for our PR to be effective. So again, again a, lot, a lot of our business is very B2C driven. So I think in that side of our business, we really understand what to, what to do and how to make it work. But I think for B2B, as I mentioned at the beginning, for, the very, for a very long time, I think we were really coffee-led. So it was really just about getting our target consumers to taste the coffee. And a lot of the messages that we were trying to build 
we're not sufficiently focused on um, on some of our B2B customers. I mean, we have things that we, we, we have content, we have material that were relevant to particular verticals, but they're not really, they're not really topics that I feel are PR worthy, especially in our market context. So I, I think really, really for us, I think we spent the last two years and it's a, it's a very unusual two years, really trying to understand how we can become more relevant to our, um, to our B2B customers. So we've done a few things with uh, with our hospitality customers, we've, uh, we've redoubled our focus around, around fine dining and also fine hospitality. And we're also trying to do more with the offices, starting with uh, what we did recently around future work. So I would like to spend more on PR, but I think the, the, the challenge here is that I, I need to have the building blocks ready. And I would say that in the next couple of years, what we'll be looking to do is to continue to find these building blocks that are that are you know that are relevant to uh, to the market. So, for example, we're ex in Hong Kong. Uh, I mean, most of you guys are not in Hong Kong, but I can tell you that uh, we have the most restrictive uh, border entrance policy in the world, probably. And with what it means is that our ho our hospitality and uh, and the restaurant sector probably hasn't recovered to the extent that a lot of the markets um, around APAC is experiencing. So. We, we, we know that there will be work that needs to be done. And I think we, um, we're certainly looking at the, what we can do there to try to build up our, um, our B2B capabilities so that when the market recovery comes through, we'll have a more compelling story to tell. I think for office, we know the future of work is something that, we, uh, that, that, that is relevant and topical to our customer. But we, uh, we're, we also need to sort of look at, um, look at our offering. So, can we provide a more flexible commercial model? Can we provide products that are more relevant to the local market? And can we wrap all of that around this topic of future of work so that when we do spend on PR, we're amplifying a message that is going to resonate. So that I think it's, uh, is what we're looking at. I think it's not really about not wanting to uh, spend on PR. I would say that compared to, uh, compared to the alternatives, PR actually is not the, uh, is not the most expensive. And I think the, uh, the likelihood of getting reach and uh, consideration, I think it's uh, it's certainly better than doing an event at a five-star hotel. But uh, but we, we really need to have the right things in order for in order for whatever we spend on PR to uh, to provide a successful outcome. Yeah, thank you. I think it's it's, it's interesting because you, you kind of are looking at it in terms of themes uh, rather yep. than tactics, which is kind of, is it's, it's a interesting angle and, and gives it a, a different spin. Um, Caroline, from your perspective, looking across your clients, do you see any particular patterns in terms of how spend is changing? Well, I mean, all I can say here is I think our approach is different, right? So spend definitely is changing depending on which department, um, um, marketing, PR, sales, even we work with um, HR departments. Right. So, of course, there's going to be a change. But how we like to look at it here is really, um, again, very business problem solving approach, because if you know your budget, you can then um, plan an effective program to solve the business problems. So that's how I like to look at it, how we look at it. And, you know, all the elements that we talked about, whether it's PR, marketing, whether it's, you know, earned, paid, owned, even the influencers, LinkedIn, whatnot, it's just all part of the same kind of integrated comms toolbox as I look at it. And, and so then rather than just 
moving or removing investment from one area is looking at what is the total budget and then how as an agency we could ensure that we can pivot to different formats to different channels back and forth depending on the business goal and depending on kind of um, which teams we're working with and, and so that's kind of how I look at it and I know that's not a direct answer to your question per se Arun but you know I think it really, in the end, it is the effectiveness, right? That works for everybody, whether it's a Marty or a Justin or a Shield. And, and so I, I, I kind of um, would like to focus on that, I guess. Well, I'll, ask, I'll ask another question then. Um, do any, maybe any cautionary um, advice to, to B2B marketers who are perhaps, um, you know, very dazzled by the prospect of, of LinkedIn and of working with influencers and, I mean, have you seen anything that, that you know, do you think perhaps it's becoming almost too fashionable? I mean, there's always fashion, fashionable uh, channels, right? Um, and I agree with what Sheil and what some uh, of the others have said. Definitely, you know, for B2B and tech, we've seen um, a spike in um, leveraging LinkedIn. Um, so whether it's on the kind of a company, you know, like Nespresso or Nutanix kind of page, also um, on the level of kind of the executives, um, you know, representing um, the company. But, you know, one thing I'll add there is for sure, it needs to be more, uh, I hate to use the word authentic, but it needs to be holistic, right? It's not just about, um, you know, sharing the, 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 the brand, the company narrative. It's also you as a Caroline, as a Justin, you know, what does this mean to you as an individual, as a person? And I think we definitely see an increase in use there. I think, um, you know, for some of the consumer tech brands, um, maybe I think not surprisingly, you know, video related platforms, whether it's a TikTok, whether it's a Snap, you know, for younger audiences uh, versus a YouTube or even most recently YouTube Shorts, you know, those are kind of formats that have been, um, increasing even in the B2B tech field. Yeah, I've noticed B2B companies on TikTok. Um, yes. So that's interesting. Any any of you um, have got your companies onto TikTok yet? No, I guess. We can't do it because it's uh, it's not available in Hong Kong. Banned in Hong Kong, <laughs> anyway, I know, yeah. too well. My daughter complains about that every day. <laughs> um, so one of the things we talk about spend, of course, it's really hard to talk about spend without talking about results, right? And, and you know, where the money goes is often where you can prove it works. Um, so perhaps the next question for all of you is, is to look at that and to look at how, um, you know, obviously we, we see a rise in, in, in data, in the data that's available to all of us. Um, and so I wanted to ask how, what changes you're seeing in terms of how you use uh, data and, and your ability um, to prove return on investment, uh, perhaps bearing in mind what you'd already said about how, sh how spend is, is shifting, and also whether the rise of communications technologies and, and MarTech is changing that whole equation, because that's something we're certainly seeing is this idea that you can now be more efficient with your spend because you can, um, you know, it's, 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 you can prove its effectiveness perhaps more easily, although I'm not always sure that's the case. Um, so I don't know who wants to take that one first. I'll throw that one open. I'll take it. Okay. Um, I think about this quite a lot. And uh, it's the biggest challenge 
for all PR, um, I think, for, and it has been for years. How do you measure this stuff um, and the return? I think the good thing is that there is now a lot more data than there was just even five years ago, right? Uh, or even two years ago. Uh, there's a lot more data out there. Um, and that means you can start to build a narrative around impact and performance from uh, PR. Um, and if you have good long run data that you can refer to going back, you know, last year, last 18 months, 24 months, um, you begin to be able to tell a story about how your PR efforts are, are performing. There is, there is data. I do think um, uh, that there are some dubious measures offered, uh, dubious ways of measuring the effectiveness of PR that's offered by different companies. Um, I saw uh, one agency offer a metric related to reach um, and gave a message of how many people potentially read an article. Not, not, so uh, it's not OTS, not, I think, opportunity to see. Yeah, right. And I mean, I think that's, you said you welcome controversial comments, <laughs> and I think it's laughable, right? You know, so uh, in the UK, where I'm from, you would say that the sun has a million uh, circulation. That means a million people buy the sun every day, but four million people read it because in the average household, three or four people will read the same publication. And then the claim is that because your media article appeared in the sun, four million people read it that day, right? of all the articles that there were available for them to read. So yeah, I just think it becomes, um, you, you've, got to be, you've got to be quite careful around, around data, but I think, it's a, I think it's a lot better. The way that I solve this problem is that at the end of the day, I think your ROI from your PR needs to be measured, not just in terms of that standalone piece or that particular campaign, but also how you then you amplify it uh, uh, through paid media, because paid media is much more easy to measure. Um, I think that, um, you know, having a, a good piece of, you know, independent third party or independent research on your subject, which endorses your product or your claim or your service that you can then amplify and measure the performance of, I think is, and track, track performance of, I think is far more, is a far more convincing way of demonstrating ROI than looking at some of the kind of, you know, as you said, R and OTS and other, and other measures that are banded about, which are really, I think, you know, don't stand up to, to much scrutiny when you're really having a discussion about, should I put my marketing dollar here or, or here? And you're trying to make choices about that. That's very interesting. So you use, use um, you measure the paid amplification of. Correct. Yeah, I think I think that's that's what you do. I mean, you, I mean, obviously, not every piece of PR is available for is going to be appropriate yeah. for that. But um, oftentimes there is. I mean, you know, you produce some research, and then people write about your research. You can then amplify that mm. yourself. Um, and that's why I was saying in the previous question, investing in owned content investing in people who create content for you in-house 
and actually do it in a pragmatic and, and independent way, I think is a really important investment to make. Yeah, good point. Marty, over to you. How you how do you see the whole measurement debate? Well, I think I think uh, we use data to take a look at um, the publications we need to be in. Um, the platforms our end users are looking at, um, the messages that are resonating with them. Um, I would, I, it's that simple, I think. And, um, you know, that data can guide the con type of content that's developed, you know, the, the publications you're speaking to, where you're placing, placing content, if, if you're amplifying it and paying, paying to do that. Um, as we've just heard, um, essentially it helps guide your strategy. Are you, um, are you seeing any particular changes in terms of how you adopt, you know, comms tech or martech to, to, um, to measure effectiveness? Or is that not something that you're, you're that involved in yet? Um, I, I'm not personally, um, although the company would be. Um, but, um, again, uh, you know, to Carolyn's point earlier, as, as, um, you know, we're working with set budgets and things, you know, we need to be as wise as we can about what we're doing and the data helps guide us. Yeah. Yeah. it's a good point. Justin, um, I mean, from your perspective, how, how do you, how do you prove the value of your of the money that your company is spending on public relations and are you happy with with the the, the measures that you have in place i think for b2b the, the the ultimate measure really is the kind of sales that it generates mm. the, the trick is really that the time horizon that you're looking at so with the recent i mean with the most recent campaign that we did i think our our short-term kpi is really around lead generation so that is something that we can uh, we can easily measure and we also have a timeline around well we also have a we also have a target around sales but that is really based something that is based on our typical sales cycle so we're also so we're both looking at the dollar amount and we're also looking at what it does to uh, to our sales cycle and we i mean we know that especially with the solutions that we sell the sales cycle tends to be measured in months and sometimes you have to wait for people to renovate before you can put a new coffee machine in so i i would i would say that it's um, it's not something where we're really looking at immediate results other than lead generation. And I think a lot of this, we really need to look at least three, six months out before we can see what the, uh, what, what, what the outcomes are going to be. But having said that, that's, that, that's the nature of the game for B2B with you. Because uh, again, with consumer programs, you can really easily measure results and you get a much more sophisticated APIs. But I think if you try to adapt that model to B2B, you know, you're, I, I think you're really missing the point because none of this is uh, none of this is really about sales conversion. Because if we're talking about that, then uh, yeah, that's a very different conversation, and we wouldn't be talking about PR. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna, that's a, as a, a good answer, but it will come as um, it, it will be a bit of a shock for the PR industry. I think to be told <laughs> they're missing the point, but you know, I think you make you make a really good argument as to as to why they are. So, thank you for that. Um, Carolyn, I asked the question about measurement and I kind of got three different answers. So I'm curious from your perspective, how do you manage that kind of a, of a challenge? Because, you know, that's, it's kind of an, an, an everyday challenge for you. 
Yeah. So, I mean, uh, a couple of thoughts here. Um, I think we've gone through different reiterations. I'm happy to report, you know, um, in the early days, you know, clients were looking at kind of AVEs, so advertising value equivalency. Thank God that's no longer in the picture. I, I know for many of us, um, you know, on the comm side, it drove us crazy because we didn't felt, we did not feel like it was an effective way to measure. Um, what to your point and, and comment about you know the rise of comms tech, we are seeing this right. I think a lot of agencies across the board have to have uh, some sort of solution here. So we definitely um, also have a solution whereby you know we can look at share of voice um, on these um, tech platforms that that we subscribe and use. So whether it's on social, whether it's across different media, um, you know there is um, data to analyze and, and to help us support future uh, campaigns and initiatives. Another side is if we're looking at integrated, I think it's previous, pretty obvious. You have statistics from like, you know, Google Analytics, you know, um, different dashboard that we can, you know, um, look at and pull together for that. But I think um, I'm gonna bring up a last point here, which might be controversial <laughs> for other agencies. Uh, where we stand, you know, is really looking at um, business-related, business-based outcomes um, to guide us in terms of ROI. I mean, it's easy to look at, you know, the the the, the um, PR aspect of it, but really, I think to to ask our clients to to uh, invest more money, you need to show that you can make a business impact, and so you know. Often um, these days, I will get, just give an example. We're working with a lot of companies around, um, you know, hiring people, given the great resignation. I, I don't really like that terminology, but given that change, you know, we're focused on a lot of recruitment and employer branding campaigns. And doing so, apart from, you know, the, the, the media hits, the, the analytics on the digital aspects, we're also looking at, well, how many how many um, resumes do we need to drive for the client? And we're looking at what is that conversion rate for our clients? So say you need a thousand resumes in order to be able to convert, you know, 500 into real hires, then those are some of the numbers that we actually are working on alongside our, our clients just to kind of tag on to that um, ROI. And, and that has helped to move the conversations around, you know, how much more to invest. It's been more transparent in terms of how much am I putting in? How much is it impacting the brand? How much is it really impacting my current business problem, which is I need to hire people across several markets. And so it might be controversial for agencies, but that's kind of how we're approaching it now because it, it, it's a different um, state of play. I think actually the point about um, uh, content uh, and, and indeed PR as a tool for recruitment is something that sometimes people overlook, um, particularly when you are um, particularly when you are focusing your PR efforts perhaps on um, trade publications um, and industry publications as opposed to mainstream media. Um, because the people who are reading that, those types of publications are actually not your customers. They tend to be your competitors. Uh, and they tend to be the, the talent pool that you want to recruit from. So um, 
you know, internally people love trade publications because they all read it. But actually, you know, um, from a customer acquisition point of view, it's less useful. But from a from a potential employment and recruitment point of view, it's actually very valuable. Um, and I think actually PR plays a role in that that sometimes people don't always appreciate. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, the the employee aspect, and and in fact, it's as Caroline has pointed out, it's kind of relatively straightforward to measure. I feel the the challenge is actually um arise when you're trying to measure more more difficult metrics maybe around reputation maybe yeah. around longer term sales and so on um uh, marty what, what is it um specifically that you're looking at from a measurement perspective what what kind of data are you looking for and how how do you kind of find it yeah so again to carolyn's point about share a voice that's something we look at and we do use a platform that that enables us to look at it at a global and regional and country level and um you know so mm -hmm. to my point about data earlier that that's what we look at mm -hmm. and um that helps us guide our decisions okay yeah so that's that's a i suppose a fairly straightforward way as well of kind of yeah. measuring spend but it's it's I imagine quite helpful. Do you do you ever think that you want to look at other areas other than share of voice? Or do you feel like this gives you a clear enough picture of effectiveness? Well, at, at the you know, as I said earlier, I'm I'm more mostly responsible for external communications, and yeah. we do integrate with social and analyst relations, and you know, the other things that the company's doing, and. Um, but for, for the function that I'm in, that's the, the one that I look at most closely. Hey, Arun, can I add to that? I think, um, you know, if we just look at the, the share of voice aspect, right, a lot of our clients, uh, apart from the, the sentiment, right, is a positive that said, yeah. mention the client's name, does it mention the client's products, you know, things like that. We also have um, clients where they look at, well, um, is the product or or client name is is that in the headlines, right? Is that within the first paragraph? Um, increasingly, it's a visual world now. Is there a video or infographic or even you know a photo that is um, um, you know that appears in that coverage? I think um, you know it's increasingly harder, right? Because um, there's a lot of things we can measure by. I think gone are the old days where it just appears. Hey, it needs to be positive, you know. Um, so not even all, that, uh, yeah, not, not all share of voices is equal. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've come to the to the end of an hour, so uh, I think we've had we've actually covered a lot of ground, uh, and I think we've had a really uh, interesting conversation and given me certainly a lot to write about uh, when we cover this so I think um, on the basis that no one else no one has anything else they want to add or anything pressing they, they'd like to contribute um, we can uh, we can close the discussion uh, and I can thank I you mean, all. Caroline shield please go ahead oh I was going to say it's been fascinating I would really yeah, to hear all these insights and uh and opinions um you know i think we it's great when you hear people from different industries mm -hmm. and uh, it's quite comforting to hear that everyone has the same challenges <laughs> no matter what industry they're in so uh, so just i just want to say thanks i think it's been really helpful thank you yeah thank you I, I just had a last point arun just coming from me is that you know um 
The rise of content or B2B content, PR, whatever you want to call it, um, it doesn't equal, equate into quality content. And I think that that's something we need to look at in the B2B industry in the sense that the material is still very jargon heavy. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, how, how can we kind of cut through that and how can we reach out to the audience in human terms? Because B2B and tech companies have a tense tendency to kind of, you know, go the other way, um, you know, and not speaking Nateman's um, language. And I think that's rather important. Also, I don't know if others will agree on the call here, but, you know, I think people are just tired, you know, given the last couple of years that, you know, there needs to be less spin in the world. They're just fatigued out by all of that noise out there. And, and I think, again, you know, to my part about jargon, it is about being straightforward and it's about being, you know, upfront and being able to admit it when things are going wrong. You know, it's okay to be authentic. I know we don't like that word, but for lack of better term, right? And, and honestly, where I'm seeing from the, you know, um, just all of our clients, um, they vary on that scale. And, um, you know, they haven't really reached that stage uh, compared to, you know, the consumer brands, if that makes sense. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think those are, that's really, I, I think both of those points have kind of um, sort of been in the background as, as, as we've discussed, you know, the challenges in terms of um, just the, the noise of B2B content and how so much of it is, does seem to be focused on jargon and features uh, rather than, as you, as you said, a, a kind of human, human approach. And that extends to giving companies, I think, a human face. But I do think that's changed a bit in the pandemic, right? You see yeah. CEOs at home, has, that has, has definitely improved. But I think that's a really good note on, on which to close. Does anyone, anyone have anything specific they wanted to say in response to, to those points from Caroline? Yeah, I, I just wanted to echo that, uh, echo the point that uh, Caroline said, because I think the, especially in B2B, because of what we do, we see both B2B and B2C. Uh, and I, I think in the B2B world, the kind of messaging that we see is more usually more about what the vendor wants to say rather than what the customer might want to hear. That is a lot. I mean, it happens in every industry, but I find that in B2B is a lot more than in B2C. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot more about you know, how we can change the world for you, but you don't really know what world we're in. And I think authenticity in B2B is hard because I think authenticity, I mean, we... But for us, our product is the same. We sell coffee to consumers and we sell coffee to uh, corporate customers. So when, when, when you have essentially the same product, but they live it in a different way, it's probably a little bit easier for us to stay consistent. But I can see that in other industries where your product offering for the B2B well and the B2C well can be drastically different. I find that what works as authentic in B2C may not actually work in, uh, in, the, in the B2B world. So... I, I think we're quite lucky in that I don't have a I don't have a solution for that, but I just think that yeah, that's something that I I certainly watch out for, because I also don't want to make sure that how how we communicate in B two B don't deviate too much to what we do in the uh, in the consumer world. Yeah. Yeah, and and as as I said earlier, it's about tapping into local conversations and talking about how we're solving problems for customers. 
Yes, back to basics. Back to basics. <laughs> it's knowledge, Aaron, as well, right? You, you've all, people thirst for information and for knowledge, yeah. and your customers uh, and the, or your potential customers uh, in the B2B space, they really, they, they don't want to know what it costs much less they want to know much more they want to know what does it mean and how does it fit yep. and tell me something i don't know and then you do that then the, the the conversation becomes much more deeper than just a transactional one and um that that i think is the key to um to, to justin's point not trying to not the vendor trying to tell the the vendor trying to tell the customer that it can change the world yeah i think it's actually about the vendor Telling the customer something the customer doesn't know that the customer is looking to find out more information about, and particularly yeah. in my space, which is very new cryptocurrency, digital assets, people are very very curious, and you give them information, help them with education, teach them something, not in a hectoring way, but in a sort of informative, collaborative way, um, they they become very very loyal to you. Great. Thank you all. Some really, really useful and helpful advice there from, from all of you, uh, from all of our experts, indeed, in this discussion. Um, yeah, so thank you all so much for your time. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. And uh, thank you. Do it again. Thank sometime. you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy to use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.